My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. Only a a few miles from here, in the Church of St. Stephen's in Kearney, there is a unique and historic place. It's called the Sanctuary of the Four Chaplains, which was only dedicated back in 2016, but it recalls a remarkable story from over 80 years ago. At what was the height of the Second World War, an army transport ship carrying close to a thousand soldiers and civilian workers was traveling the icy waters of the North, northern Atlantic en route to an American base in Greenland when a German submarine fired a torpedo at the ship, causing the nearly 6,000-ton vessel to sink below the surface in just 20 minutes. In the commotion of the attack, surviving witnesses explain how these four chaplains, Lieutenant George Fox, who was a Methodist, Lieutenant Alexander Good, who was Jewish, Lieutenant Clark Poling, who was a Dutch Reformed minister, and Lieutenant and Father John P. Washington, who was a Roman Catholic priest from the Archdiocese of Newark, immediately spread out among the soldiers, trying to to calm the frightened, to treat the, the wounded, and to guide the disoriented to safety. Private William Bedner, who is one of the survivors, described the scene. He said he was among oil-smeared waters, surrounded by dead bodies and debris. And he recalls, I could hear men crying and pleading and praying. And I could also hear the chaplains preaching courage. Their voices were the only thing that kept me going. After the initial attack and the shock had registered, most of the men were on the top and the chaplains opened the storage locker and began distributing life jackets. 
And it was then that engineer Grady Clark, another survivor, witnessed an astonishing sight. When there were no more life jackets in the storage room, the chaplains removed theirs and gave them to four frightened young men. It was the finest thing I've seen or hoped to see this side of heaven, said John Ladd, another survivor, who saw the chaplain's selfless act. And as the ship descended, survivors in nearby rafts could see the four chaplains, arms linked and braced against the slanting deck, and their voices could be heard as the ship descended, offering prayers. Of the 902 men aboard that, that ship, 672 died, leaving only 230 survivors. And when the news reached American shores, the nation was, was stunned by the gravity of this tragedy, but also in awe of the heroic conduct of these four chaplains. And St. Stephen's Church in Kearney was the last parochial assignment for Father Washington before he enlisted in the army as a military chaplain right after the attacks on Pearl Harbor. And so now that's become this permanent remembrance for the four chaplains who are described accurately as brave and courageous. But why it also comes to mind this second Sunday of Lent is because they were so incredibly selfless. How does someone perform these ultimate acts, which Jesus himself calls and will demonstrate as no greater love. We heard these scriptures today, which without some reflection can be and have frequently been wildly misinterpreted, particularly the, the first reading from Genesis. We hear Abraham being ordered to sacrifice his son, the one whom God observes and speaks to Abraham as your only one whom you love and to sacrifice him. And at the last second, as Isaac is situated and bound on the altar and Abraham has his knife ready, there's this seemingly last minute reprieve. It makes people at a minimum wince. It feels like this cruel test of faith that Abraham has to prove to God how loyal he would be to the Lord when in fact, it's actually the complete opposite. At this point in the history of humanity, in every other culture, all the false pagan religions that surrounded the Jewish people, human sacrifice was accepted and was part of their expectations. The destruction of another life for the needs and wants and desires of all these demonic influences was yet another byproduct of sin entering into the world, where people fell for the other lie that there's ever a reason for a human being to take another one's life, where one human being can look at another and not see them as a human being with inherent dignity. How those on the most basic of levels would lack the humility to recognize I didn't just summon myself into existence and neither did anyone else which all points to having a creator outside of this world of ours. That such logic could be ignored and lost and that human sacrifice was just an acceptable thing. It's shocking how barbaric those ancient cultures were. Oh yeah, that's right. Our culture isn't much better with very vocal people who do the same thing, wanting to paint those who are pro-life as 
something along the lines of being a terrorist as they increasingly and more aggressively advocate for the death of innocent life in the womb. In this reading from Genesis, though, the only God, the Lord God, is teaching Abraham about the goodness and the dignity and the preciousness of human life. Isaac wasn't just any human being. Sarah and Abraham, after being unable to have a child, miraculously in their late 80s, the promised son Isaac is conceived and born. This genuine gift of God was so unexpected that Isaac's name means he laughs because Sarah's quoted at the birth as saying, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would suckle children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. But it's not a mocking laugh. It's joyful laughter. Because Isaac's name also means to rejoice. So this young man who has brought laughter and joy into the lives of Sarah and Abraham is now marked for sacrifice. On the surface and out of context, it just seems horrifically cruel. But this is continuing what we started to reflect on last week on the first Sunday of Lent. Last week we heard about Noah and the ark and how God was making a way to, to recreate the brokenness of creation through one man who would remain faithful and obedient and listen to God's word. Through Noah's faith in the Lord God, there was a way out from the brokenness of this world. There was salvation from sin as the waters of the flood receded. Well, in this reading, the lesson of faith is how salvation was going to come about for all humanity and all creation. The Lord God is making Abraham look into the face of his own son, the son he desperately longed for and had never expected at this point and now has rejoiced over. The one he loves more than anything in this earth. And he has to get to this place where he's got to confront himself. Does Abraham know God and who he truly is? Does Abraham love God? Does Abraham trust God? Unfortunately, the, the lectionary gives us an abbreviated version of this entire episode. It leaves out Isaac and Abraham's dialogue where Isaac asks, where's the offering that they're going to make to the Lord God? And Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb. In one sense, that's a statement of fact. Abraham knows that Isaac is only here by God's miraculous hand. But it's also a prayer of a father for his son. It's a statement of faith where Abraham does know that the Lord God is good and he's loving and he's holy and that everything up to this point has been unpredictable according to human and worldly terms. So why would things be different now? What, God probably, what Abraham probably didn't realize is how prophetic his words would be. God will provide himself the lamb. It's going to be seen in an entirely different light in the life, death, and resurrection of God become man incarnate in Jesus. No, the creator of the universe 
does not want human sacrifice. He does not want us to be using and taking and abusing his creation for our wants, our needs, and desires. But instead, he wants us to die to those things. To recognize that when we do that, when we become selfless ourselves, that's when we experience true and genuine and sincere love. We enter into the very life of our triune God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why the, the gospel today takes us to the mountain of transfiguration. The gospel seems to come out of left field. Last week, we were reflecting on, on Jesus in the desert for 40 days fasting, facing temptation by the devil. Now he's taking Peter, James, and John alone up this high mountain. And his glory is revealed as Jesus is transfigured and, and Moses and Elijah appear. My man, Peter, I love him. I love his impulsiveness and just the the knee-jerk reactions, probably because they seem so relatable. He's thinking, I knew I was right when I said you're the Christ. It's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. Let's stay. Let's never leave. Sorry, Peter. Open mouth, insert foot, wrong again. This isn't the glory that the Lord God's interested in. It's amazing for sure. It's an exciting moment. But it's a moment that's going to recede from these three men's minds and hearts very quickly in the horrors of Good Friday. When that same Jesus is abandoned and rejected and tortured and crucified. The transfiguration is pointing that the true glory that's to come on Mount Calvary. When God himself will in the ultimate act of selflessness show us the true, true glory that God will provide himself the lamb. When the father will offer his only son as the lamb of sacrifice. In the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the true depths of the heart of God that, that Noah had faith in, that Abraham believed and trusted in, is revealed. The glory of God on that mountaintop can be found even here and now even amidst a still broken world, a world that, that still suffers the effects of original sin and all the trials and struggles and setbacks from our unoriginal continued sinning. We can find salvation from all that when we remember God pointing to Jesus, when we hear the Father's voice saying to us, this is my beloved son, listen to him. That's what Father Washington in those three fellow chaplains demonstrated in an amazingly profound way as they offered their, their life vest and their, their very lives to their fellow soldiers. That selflessness and that sacrifice only makes sense, can only happen when, that, when someone has faith and trust in the God of Noah and of Abraham, when one has experienced the love of Jesus Christ, who knows that they can call upon that Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and have faith, hope, and love in him and his promises here and now. As we continue on our Lenten journeys, we're not asked whether we could be as brave as one of those four chaplains, or even if we have the confidence and faith that Abraham did. If you're anything like me, more than likely you can relate to Peter, James, and John, who are still trying to take it all in and still find logic and reason failing as they try to wrap their minds around it all. Because it's only in the light of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that they can face their failures. They can receive his mercy and his forgiveness. And that all these words and all these experiences finally convict 
and transform their hearts. And so it is for each of us. In this penitential season of Lent, we're asked to continue to dig deep, to examine our consciences and see those areas of selfishness or self-centeredness, places where I put myself, my wants, my needs and desires ahead of everyone and everything else, including God himself. And just to reevaluate, to rethink that, to dig deep and courageously go and ask for and receive his mercy by bringing all of our sins to Jesus in the sacrament of reconciliation, making a good confession and experiencing his forgiveness. May we hear the Father's voice telling us to listen to his beloved Son and to respond to Jesus' call and be more and do more and receive more of his grace into our lives so that like those four chaplains, we can be heroic, bringing God in his truly life-saving love into our world.